Well, good morning. I hope that you had a wonderful weekend, and uh, I just want to say my name is Ray Green, and uh, I love serving Graceland as the senior pastor, and uh, also want to welcome all of our guests this morning. And uh, for those of you who are watching online, we know that a lot of you uh, try to connect with us online ever before you connect with us in person, so we look forward to, to meeting you soon. And I want to start out today by sharing about a wedding that I was a part of recently. I was a part of re- uh, performing the ceremony, and it took me back to my wedding, uh, specifically the, the gift opening part uh, after the wedding. Do you remember that? Those of you who are married, opening the gifts after your wedding, or uh, perhaps you're not married today, you had a birthday, do you remember opening your gifts? And I remember opening this one gift in particular, and my wife uh, opened it up, and I had no clue what it was at all. And she goes, isn't that great, Rand? I said, oh, it sure is. I'm thinking, I don't know what that is. You know, I still don't know what that thing is. You know, and, and so often when we open a gift, we don't know what it is. Where, where does it go? It goes in the drawer, right? Or, or if, if we want to keep it around because we'd feel bad about ever getting rid of it. Uh, but so often the case is Americans, uh, we have the opportunity to have certain gifts and a lot of them, they go in the drawer. And I just want to start out today by making an appeal to you that is really going to build a foundation for what we're going to look at, and that is this, that God doesn't waste a life. He doesn't put anything in a drawer. He doesn't waste a life. In America, we're blessed. We have many things, don't we? We have many different things. And what we'll do is we'll go out and we'll buy a new thing. And we buy a new thing and we put it on the the trophy place of our house, the kitchen table. And it's, ah, that's our new buzz. I call it the buzz light year effect. You know, and it, it's cool and it's new. And then slowly but surely it loses its effect and something else catches our eye. And so that thing moves its way to a drawer and then it finds its way to the basement and then the garage. And then we either give it away, we donate it, or we throw it away. Well, God is not in the business of putting you in a drawer. But you put yourself in a drawer. I want to give you a very grammatically awkward statement here. You are not anyone else. That you're uniquely designed. Howard Hendricks used to say it like this. He said, if you're anyone else, we don't need you. We need you. If Psalm 139, 14 says it this way. He says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. John Piper He says, if you live gladly to make others glad in God, your life will be hard, no doubt. Your risks will be high and your joy will be full. This is not a book. This is not a book about leading an easy life. But this is a book about how to avoid a wasted life. So the question this morning I have is how do we avoid, how do we avoid, how do you, how do I avoid a wasted life? If you would like to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be there this morning. If you have a smartphone, you have a tablet, or you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you in your seat back. Get it out. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. It'd be our gift to you. Ephesians 4, we're in the middle of a series called The Invisible War. And The Invisible War really is dealing with and going through the book of Ephesians. The, the Apostle Paul, he writes this book to the, the church in Ephesus. And he writes to the church in Ephesus, and then they are then to circulate the letter throughout all the churches in Asia. And he writes this letter because he's fought his greatest battles, and he's had his greatest breakthroughs. 
And he's writing this letter to the Ephesus church because they're encountering battles as well. And he begins to write this letter and it's layer by layer by layer. And we've been building over the course of our uh, series and we get to its pinnacle in Ephesians 6, chapter 10 and 11, where Paul says it this way, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. You can stand. That means that you can stand on the promises of God, that the enemy is not going to steal anything from you. You can stand upon those things against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Your battle isn't against your neighbor. Your battle ultimately is against the evil one. And why is this critical? Because we fight battles too. The, the, when Paul says spiritual realms, you see, you occupy this earth, but you also occupy a spiritual realm where the evil forces battle the forces of God. And we learned from Ephesians 1, quick summary, real quick, here we go. Ephesians 1, we talked about and learned that Jesus is seated far above all else, that, he, that everything is under his feet. Ephesians 2, we learned of what great a salvation we have in God. What a great, amazing faith and salvation we've been given. Ephesians 3, we learned that we should not limit God. Don't limit God with a capital L. And then we started into Ephesians 4 last week, just a few verses, and we continue. And everything's building towards Ephesians 6. Everything is building towards what it looks like to fight the invisible war in a physical world in our everyday life. And what Paul knows and we need to know is what Satan wants most for you is for you to put your life in a drawer. He wants that. He wants you, Brian, to put your life in a drawer. He wants you to put yourself in a drawer. And Paul's like, now I want them to understand. And I want you today, us 2,000 years later, to understand the exact same thing. So look at it with me in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one day, or one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So that we are one. It's the chapter of unity. That we are one. That we are one in faith, one in baptism, one in hope, one Father. What does that mean? Well, we should be a close, tight-knit faith family. We're going to have a crazy uncle or aunt or two. We're going to annoy each other along the way, but we need to be tight like Southwest. Amen? Right? That we need to be tight as a family. I just say it all the time. We're a small church with a lot of people. And when we understand the gospel, well, then there's no room for gossip. There's no room for dissension. And I know none of you do any of those things. There's no room for that because we're one, right? Also, because we're one, if you come here today and for the most part, you think that you're just going to live your life by yourself and you want to stand in the victory of God, that is an oxymoron. Here's why. Because God, Paul just talked about through the influence of the Holy Spirit about how we were one. This is the only way to stand and yet you're going to live your life by yourself. That's not going to happen. You will be a defeated person if you do not live within the body of Christ. Then Paul continues in verse 7. Look at it with me. He says, but to each, but, so he's, tra he's transitioning, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Okay, Circle the word grace. Anytime you see the word grace, circle it, highlight it. Why? 
It's the best one-word definition of the gospel you can find. God giving something to us unmerited. John chapter 4. He gives himself to the woman at the well. Why? Because of his grace. And then Paul continues in verse 8. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Underline that. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. I'm going to explain all that in just a little bit. What I want to do for you, though, is I want to take you back to that phrase where he says, gave gifts to his people. You could skip over that real quick, but I want you to highlight that. I want you to understand that. See, you and I have been given a gift. And that's why to put yourself in a drawer is wasting your life. This isn't a physical gift. This is a spiritual gift. When you became a Christ follower, you were given supernaturally an ability. In your listening guide there, you can write the spiritual gifts. Those gifts are empowered abilities given to believers. See, God doesn't waste a life. He doesn't waste lives. And my prayer for you is that for you to see all that God wants to do in and through your life. And so Paul begins to write these lists of gifts. This isn't all of the gifts. There's actually five different scriptures that make up all of the gifts that we can be given. 1 Corinthians 12, you can look at it later. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4, and then Romans 12. And when you put them all together, what you begin to find out is there's no problem in the church or in the world that the church isn't gifted to minister to. If there's a problem, well, guess what? The church has a gift to fix the problem. Jesus was doing this all the time with the disciples. When there's depression, there's a gift of encouragement. When there's correction, well, there's truth to inform, right? Jesus had a a piece of bread and some fish. He said, hey, go feed 5,000 disciples. There's this demon. He says, cast it out. He says the storm be, 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 be calm. See, he, he's gifting the body to do the work of the ministry. He's gifted you. Not, don't put yourself in a drawer, but, but utilize what you've been given. Don't waste a life. And because we've been given these things, churches should have a certain limited amount of chaos. <laughs> so that means that no church is perfect. No church is perfect, friends. That means this, that I'm going to disappoint you. That I'm going to say something. I'm not going to say something. I'm going to do something that is going to either uh, fail you in some way or I'm going to mess up. A couple weeks ago, I had a really, really busy Sunday. I started out by leading all of our small groups in a meeting at 8.15 in the morning. The small group leaders in this church are awesome. Okay, They got up at 8.15 in the morning. We fed them, but still, 8.15 in the morning. I led that, and then I preached twice, and then I had two more meetings, and I finally got home in the afternoon. I got home. I was feeling pretty good about the day. I thought, man, that was a good day. I got in, and I'm sitting down talking to my beautiful bride, and she's always so encouraging, but I always ask her every Sunday, so how, how do you feel like it went? You know, did I make sense? Did I say anything stupid? You know? And she said, it was good, Ray, but you did make up a word. I said, what? She said, yeah, you made up the word reedify. I said, no, that is a word. She said, no, it's not a word, Ray. You made it up. She said, you took the word reiterate and edify and you put it together. (laughs) 
Reedify. Use it this week. See if anyone catches you. Because no one caught me except for my bride. That's why he gives the body, because I'm going to mess up. And we're to, we to love one each other, love one another, just as Paul in verse 16 talks about. We're to build each other up. We're to edify one another. We're to speak the truth in love. <laughs> so here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to work on the edification test. Pray, ask God to help you. Before you open your mouth, is this going to edify someone around you? If not, stay silent. It might be a quiet week. <laughs> Before you talk to your husband, your wife, your friend, your coworker. <laughs> Look at verse 11 with me. Paul, he's listing the gifts from Christ to the church. And what I want you to see here is something that a lot of times we don't understand. That there, there's the office of the gifts and then there's the ministry gifting. There's a distinction, and here's, here's why I say that. There's the office of apostle, and then there's the ministry gift of apostle. The office of the apostle was those who saw, witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 15. And those were the 12 apostles that we read about in the New Testament. That's why you have Judas, after he commits suicide in Acts chapter 1, he's replaced. Okay, but then there's the ministry gift of apostleship. This is the apostle Paul. He's going out, the apostle, the word apostle means to be sent out. He's going out, he's planting churches in the areas that are reaching the Gentiles. Graceland is to be a, a church planting kind of church. Why? Because, boy, there's churches closing down every single day. Thousands upon thousands of churches are closing down every single year. And we are charged as a church to reproduce ourselves. This is a major part of where we need to go in the future and where we are going. You know, in the past, Graceland has been a part of planting five churches. And in the future, I hope it's many, many more. This year, Graceland is going to give thousands of dollars away to church plants locally in Palmyra, Indiana. You know that we're going to launch a church, a part of us, on Easter Sunday. You know that? that we, we, we're, we're, construction is underway right now. Uh, we have a picture. Can you guys throw up that picture? Uh, this is the newest picture of, look at that. Isn't that cool? Isn't that awesome? Yeah. That we're, we're renovating that church. We're going to relaunch it. We're partnering with an elementary school. We're going to, do, uh, we're going to reach out to that school. And the, the, the principal of that school could not be more excited. Why? Because church planning is the greatest single form of evangelism the world has ever seen. I stand before you today because someone planted a church in Pickerington, Ohio. The ministry gift of apostleship is so important. It's part of my gift mix, actually. Then you go to the next gift that Paul lists, and it's the word prophets. This is a gift. It's the gift where God speaks to someone who speaks to someone else or speaks God's word over them. We believe God can speak to us. We believe as a church, the same God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. And the same God of the New Testament is the same God today. We believe that. God speaks. But if God is speaking to you something that doesn't line up with the Bible, then that's not God. That's pizza that you ate last night talking to you. All right? Now, why do we believe this? Okay, because the Bible, the canon, if you will, all 66 books make up the Word of God. And anything that is to be added to that is not of God. 
This is how we measure things. This is how we know truth for truth. And in a world that says there is no truth, it is so very important that we understand this for our lives. Oftentimes prophets, if there's a ministry gift in this way, they're black and white. They see the truth and they just state it. They're very clear and they can be prickly as well, prickly prophets. Then another gifting, the third one is evangelist. This one is taking the gospel, taking the gospel to people who need to hear the good news. That Philip, the evangelist in Acts chapter eight, he was an evangelist. He took the, the greatest message in the world. And, and there, there are those in our midst here today who are gifted in that way. But we're all called to share Christ. None of us, no matter how, no matter how backward we are socially or forward thinking we are socially, we're all called. I have a friend in our church. He's a businessman. He leverages every single concept, relationship, and contract for the gospel. I've never, I've never had a moment being around him where he doesn't invite someone to come to this church. He's invited more people to Graceland than I've ever, ever known. And that's what we need to be. We need to be the kind of people that are willing to, un- to uh, they're wearing, that are, un- that are willing to uh, unleash compassion and share Christ. That's why we want to give you tools. The, out in the lobby, there's tools to invite people to Easter. We want to invite 30,000 people. And I need you to invite people to Easter. Why we're called to do it. We actually have yard signs. You can take, they're out on the tables. Take them, put the stand in them, and put them in your yard. Okay, it'll be, it'll be great. The fourth gift is pastors. This is the gift of, of um, loving like Christ by shepherding. And the fifth gift, fifth gift is teachers. This is to explain, this is to train, this is to equip. But again, as I said, this is not the only gift, spiritual gifts that we are given. Now, Do all of the spiritual gifts line up with their natural gifts? Well, yes, sometimes, but not all the time. Sometimes our gifts just come supernaturally as we're um, given to the Lord and the gospel is, is, is renewed in our hearts. Now, the question for us all is, how do we find our gifts? How do you discover what your gift mix is? Well, here's what I want to encourage you. There are tests out there, but not all the tests are correct. What I would encourage you is, is that God, if you seek him out, will show you, will very, 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 uh, he'll do a really good job of helping you understand your gift for your life. And my goal is to help you understand your gift, your spiritual inclination so that you can use it for the kingdom. My greatest horror would be for you to come to Christ as a believer and then put yourself in the drawer until you die. I want you to use your gift to the fullest. Why? Because you are part of the body of Christ and you've been, you've been uniquely equipped. Paul, he reedifies this. Just, did anyone catch that? Okay, just want to see if you're awake, okay? Paul reiterates this in verse two, in 12. He says that he's given all these gifts to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Highlight that, underline that. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, 
speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, I want you to highlight the, uh, the word equip. This word, it comes from this Greek word that has to do with putting back together again, to, to mend, to repair. Okay, Paul and his culture, when a bone was broken, they would use the same exact word to set the bone back into place. And what God is trying to communicate through the Apostle Paul is that when there's brokenness, the body of Christ is there to put the healing salve on it. If you're broken, there's hope for healing in the church. There's forgiveness, there's love, there's acceptance. And then there's this gentle prodding for us to, as Paul says, mature. What does mature mean? Well, it means to look like Jesus. First John says, the one who says he abides in him, basically those who say we are to follow Christ, we ought himself to look in the same manner as he walked. That's why we want you to read the New Testament in 2018. We want you to sign up to get a daily email for you to read through the New Testament as a church. That's why we want you to be in a group. That's why we want you to get in a D group. Why? So that you can grow up. Paul in a nutshell says, look, grow up. Don't stay a little infant. Get out of diaper stage, please. Grow up. Pray fast. The spiritual disciplines meant to build you as a follower of Jesus. We don't want to just be at a mile wide and an inch deep. We want to be deep and wide, just like the old song says. This, this Tuesday, I'm calling all of our church to fast for Easter. If you can medically fast for one meal or a whole day, do it. Fast and pray for our church so that God will change and transform lives. And when we walk as Jesus walked, we discover, as Paul said, each part does its work. Here's what I want you to understand, that every member ministers. Every member ministers. There's no drawer along the way, right? That you're out of the drawer and that as a member of the body of Jesus Christ, that you are ministering. There's a priesthood of believers, as Hebrews talked about. Why? Well, because you're like a snowflake. You're, you have a complete unique gift mix. Relax, guys. I didn't say you're a cupcake. I said you're a, a snowflake, okay? That you're, you're unique in the way you've been designed. Here's an illustration of your uniqueness. The human DNA code in each person can be arranged in one in 10 to the second billionth power ways. Those mathematicians in the room will understand how incredible that is. I don't know who brought that, who thought that up, but it's true. That's one, okay, with two billion zeros after it. To put that into perspective, okay, one trillion has 12 zeros behind it. And we're talking about a number here that has two billion zeros behind it. That is how unique you've been created. So are you spiritually. Wow. See, you're not anyone else. God doesn't waste a life. 
You know, our vision is, is to see lives transformed. And we see this happen through the discipleship process of gathering around the gospel as we do now and growing and discipled in a group, in a D group, like we want you to be involved in. And not just to stay there, not just to become uh, spiritually fat, but for you to then to move to go. See, we stuck in, we're stuck in the grow mode in most churches. And, and as pastors, I got I to gotta just say, we, we've really failed churches. We've we've Define discipleship as just just grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and and know and know and know. Well, really, discipleship is living and loving like Jesus Christ. It's to go unleash compassion. It's to go and share the message of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, look, grow up. I mean, if I go to the table for dinner this week and I sit there and I wait for my wife to feed me, it's going to be weird. And then I wet myself, and I, then I say, will you please change me? And she's going to be like, no, go change yourself. Paul is saying, look, as mature believers, act that way. You know, this last week, it's so funny. This last week, I had somebody complain to me that the music was too loud. And then in the same week, I had someone tell me the reason why they like Graceland is the music isn't too loud. In the same week. So often I hear the case, oh, Ray, the preaching isn't deep enough, or the preaching isn't that enough, or the church isn't this enough, or the church isn't that enough. As if to say the church is there for you to consume. Let me tell you, let me speak to you right now. This is not the age of consumerism. This should be the age of a contribution. That we are here to contribute. We are the body of Christ. And it's not that you're too young. And it's not that you're too old. You are just where you need to be. God doesn't waste a life. So get involved. As Paul says, I lovingly want to encourage you, grow up. (laughs) (laughs) So gifts are the means. As in your listening guide there, gifts are the means, but fruit is the goal. Fruit is the goal. And really the key to this whole passage is found in verses 8 through 10. And you read it, and and I read through it quickly, and and you may have gone, well, what does that mean? Well, here I want to describe to you what it means in just the first few, these last few minutes together. You read through the phrase, he ascended on high and gave gifts, but that he also descended. And you take it to mean, well, did Jesus then go to hell? Well, what this is talking about is that on the cross, he talked about how he was going to be in paradise, meaning that he was going to be with Abraham. And what this is implying, and it's actually connecting Psalm 68, 18. It's an old quote from that scripture, meaning that Jesus died and there's no need for a place where um, the, 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 the prophets would, would rest until the day that they would meet Jesus, that all will find, uh, find themselves in heaven with Christ because of what he did on the cross. And according to Psalm 68, 18, the Old Testament, a king would come back from battle when he was victorious. And what he would do is he would sit upon his throne. He'd array all of his gifts in front of him, all the loot, if you will, from war. And he would give all of the loot, all of the gifts, follow along with me, all of the gifts to those who were on the winning team. So Psalm 68, it's talking about David. He has just come back from battle. He has the Ark of the the Covenant, which represents the, the, the presence of God. He takes the Ark of the Covenant to Mount Zion, where the Ark of the Covenant symbolizes the presence of God. And they, there is an unbelievable um, moment there. 
But see, this all points to the king of kings, the king of kings ascending the hill of Golgotha and where he was lifted up on high so that the veil could be torn and God's presence could be in and work in us and through us. And then he gave us gifts because of his victory on the cross. So that God, that means that God doesn't waste a life. See, David, he, he brought the, pre, the presence of God back to Jerusalem at the, at the risk of his life. But Jesus, he brought the presence of God to us at the cost of his life. See, he didn't waste his son on you. So don't waste your life. The body needs you. See, my concern is for some of you in this room here today who are new believers or you're not yet believers and you want to grow, you want to learn. There are teaching and equipping environments here at Graceland called groups. We have them on Sunday mornings. We have them during the week. We have them on Wednesday nights. Get in one. Begin to learn. Begin to be equipped. But you need that. My concern is for some of you in this room also who, who, who you've been using your gift for a long time and you're tired. But God has a message for you. You're not dead, and so you're not done. And because of that, don't grow weary, as Paul said, in well-doing. But some of you are on the sidelines. You're a believer of Jesus. You haven't been using your spiritual gifts. And you're here today, and friends, you're just watching the plays go by. And my friend, God has a message for you, and his message for you is run the play. God's given me the op opportunity to be the quarterback. I'm calling the play. I'm saying, let's go for it. Hut, hut, hike. We are to sprint at, towards the play. So if you're on the sideline, I want to encourage you. The greatest form and way to experience revival in your life, the greatest form for you to, to discover where God has gifted you to do is to get in the game. Get in the game, friends. It's the greatest cause. It's the greatest thing you'll ever be a part of. You see, I think about my kids. And, and, and so many times I'll correct them on something. And I'll have them do something. And they don't understand it at the time. They just see in their own little world. They just see in their own little time. And, but what I see is their whole life in front of me. I see that in 10, 20, and 30, and 40 years, I want them to be able to do this and be this so that they can do X, Y, and Z for the Lord. And in the same way, God sees us. He sees the beginning of our life and the end of our life. And he sees how short it is. And he sees how long eternity is. And he doesn't want us to waste the time we have here. God doesn't waste our life. And he's calling you and I to do the same, to use it for his glory and for his honor.